0: All right, how many of you can remember back to, by the way, my name is Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you yet, welcome. How many of you can remember back to about fifth grade? Might be a couple of you who are in fifth grade, but okay, you can, you can go way, way back, right? So I remember in fifth grade, there was a kid named Carlos that um, I thought he was the coolest kid around. Um, he, we would, he was on the same bus route as me, so we'd drive by and we'd pick up Carlos after I would get picked up, and his house was orders of magnitude more amazing than where I lived. He had all the cool stuff out in his yard, and the house looked like a big mansion, and, and he just he had, the, he had the perfect clothes to be like in that era, which now it would be laughable, right? But then Man, he had the clothes that were amazing, and he, he had this certain way of doing his hair where, and it used to be a big deal for the guys back in the, what would this be, I guess the early 90s, late 80s, um, where you'd grow the, the almost like bangs, but you didn't want it to come down. You would, you would gel it into sort of like a wave that would stick out, almost like you get to wear a hat without wearing a hat. You know, it was just, there it was. And man, Carlos just had the perfect version of that. And he, he was also the kid that he, he had the, the best jeans you could buy, but he would, he would roll them up the bottom, and it just looked awesome, right? I don't know why that looked awesome to us as fifth graders, but Carlos seemed to have it made. And, and as he would walk around the school, people would obviously want to be his friend. Uh, people would talk about him when he wasn't there, and then when he was there, everybody would let him talk and um, I remember at different times. I would look at Carlos and I would think like, I wish I could be more like Carlos. I was a little bit more nerdy. I wasn't the most popular kid. Um, and, and I would look at him and think, man, if I could just do what he did. So I remember some days I would be cinching up my pant leg and rolling it there to look cool. And I would be pleading with my mom to buy me LA gear shoes because that's what Carlos had. And he was cool. I wanted to be cool. And uh, and, and it was amazing how much the pecking order of the fifth grade was established by people like him, uh, where it's almost like they're up on this pedestal of, you know, if, if we can just all aspire to be like Carlos, we'll all be cool. And, uh, and then as you get older, you realize it's all ridiculous. I have no idea what whatever happened to Carlos. Um, but I was just talking to somebody before the service, remembering the little note of wisdom that the cool kids end up working for the nerds in the long run. So I think. Well, who knows? Maybe someday I could give Carlos a job. We'll see. But uh, I wonder, as we think about Jesus, the center of our faith, if we look at him and aspire to be like him. Now, we, do, we sort of do theologically, right? We do when we're in church, even when we sing. We're, sometimes we're singing about, like, we want to be like Jesus. We love him. We, we model our lives after his life. But in a very real way, Jesus came to be the model person, and we would all look at him and go, wow, if that's what it means to be a man, if that's what humanity is supposed to be, I want to be like that. And what we'll discover today is that's exactly what Jesus did. It wasn't just about him dying on the cross and rising again for our sins. That's obviously a huge part of the Christian narrative. But another piece of it is that he came and he lived the kind of life that you and I were created to live. And so if we say, how should my life look? We look at Jesus and say, well, that's the guy I want to be like. So I have a question for you before we open up God's Word and get into the study aspect this morning. And it's based on this proverb. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. One translation says, better than a warrior. And, who, and, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. If you can control yourself, you're actually stronger, more powerful, than the guy that can strategize as a military commander and take over a city. And we all kind of know that in our hearts, right? It's actually easier to do things outside. It's easier to be successful outside of ourselves than inside of ourselves. So you might look at your life and go, if somebody says, like, who are you really or how are you really doing? Like, they might be thinking about all the external things you have, like, wow, look at your house or look at your job or look at, look at all the amazing things going on around you. Look at the cities that you've conquered. And you, in the quietness of your heart, you're going, I'm, I'm weak. I'm sinful. People don't even know who I really am. of all this mess in my heart. That's why the proverb says, if you're you're actually able to control yourself, that is a bigger deal than you being some sort of powerful warrior out there and controlling other people. So we're going to start um, our study today, Basic Christianity, um, first by reminding you that you can pick up a book by the same title and read along with this series. So we're not actually studying the book in church, as I mentioned last week, um, but we're sort of preaching in parallel to it, so that if you hear these concepts and you're like, I would like to learn more about that, I'd like to dive deeper into this stuff, you can read the chapter from that week and go further than what we'll be able to go here in this sermon time. Uh, So this week we're reading chapter 3. If you don't have your copy yet, there's a whole bunch of them, they're totally free, uh, out in the foyer. I'd love for you to take one home and uh, catch up and read along with us. And what we're really doing is we're just studying the core, like what does it really mean? to follow Jesus, and why would we follow him? Um, so, picking up where we left off last week, remember Jesus made some audacious claims. He went around not just giving great moral teachings, not just performing miracles, but along the way saying things like, I am the light of the world, or I am the bread of life, or I am the way and the truth in the life, and there's no way to get to God except through me, like really big claims to make. In fact, last week we saw where he even used God's Old Testament name for himself. He said, I am. And that was all he said. There was nothing else to say. He, was, I am. And so that's when people, the, the, the religious elites of the time, the purists, they were like, we've got, we've got to get rid of this guy. He's out there blaspheming. He is claiming to be God. So we know that Jesus made these bold claims, which means that we have to figure out what we'll do with those bold claims. Like, do we believe Jesus when he said he was all of that or not? So today we're going to continue that conversation from a different angle. And we're going to ask the same question that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman governors, what they were asking about Jesus in Aramaic or Greek or whatever they were speaking, they were basically saying to one another, what do we do with this guy? Like, he, he's, people are following him, the world is, is, you know, the world is being impressed by him and not by us, and we're about to lose our status as leaders. If everybody keeps following him, what do we do? And meanwhile, the crowds out there, they're looking at Jesus and thinking, okay, maybe he is the Messiah, but he doesn't look anything like the Messiah we thought we were going to get. So some people chose to believe and some people didn't. There's obviously a lot of drama surrounding all of that that you can read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels in the Bible. So we're going to open to two of those books this morning and just look at two vignettes, two little scenes from the life of Jesus and discover his amazing character. Because the claims of Jesus were bold and it kind of forces us into making a decision. The character of Jesus was bold as well, very different than what anyone had seen before. And when you see Jesus in character, you start to realize, I'm going to have to make a decision about this guy. What do I do with this guy? Because he stands out as completely different than other people. You could read a history book and you could see lots of great and amazing historical figures throughout the centuries, and then you would see Jesus and you would go, oh, he's different. It's not like there's other people who were pretty much like Jesus. There's not like a group that you could say, oh, like we'll categorize Jesus and put him over in this group. He was fundamentally apart from everybody else. And the people who knew him best that were there in the moment, they knew it. Okay, So we're going to start by looking at one little scene from Matthew 13. Go to verse 53. Remember, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but then his parents actually lived in Nazareth. They had traveled to Bethlehem, He was born, then they went back to Nazareth. So Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He was called a Nazarene. And then we look to verse 53. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country because he was traveling. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and this power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him, which is interesting, right? The the people in his hometown, they didn't know him as God in the flesh stepping down from heaven. They knew him as that kid who grew up at the carpenter's house. Now, we would all say probably he was an exceptionally good kid because we'll we'll find out later. He never committed a sin, so obviously he would have stood out. But here these people are shaking their head and going, you know, he's making all these claims that he's God and he descended from heaven. He, He didn't do any of that. We were there. We watched him grow up. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. So hold that thought and now go to John chapter 7 for another vignette into the character of Jesus. He was completely a human being but he wasn't acting like a human being. So what do we do with that? Look to verse 40 of John 7. After he had said, Come to me and I will give you living water. says, The crowds heard him say this, and some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others said, But he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born in the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. What did the crowd not know? See, they all knew him as from Nazareth, right? So they're saying, he can't be the Messiah. The Messiah comes from Bethlehem. We know that. They didn't realize Jesus actually did come from Bethlehem. So, some of them even wanted him arrested But no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and the Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Just pay close attention to their answer here. These are like police officers from the temple going to arrest someone who people thought was a blasphemer. Why didn't you bring him in? Why didn't you do your job? We never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there even a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? There actually was, as we'll see in a second. This crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met Jesus earlier, spoke up. Nicodemus was sort of a secret believer at this time. Is it legal to convict a man before he's even given a hearing, he said? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. So both of these little stories show us that as, as people were encountering Jesus, his claims about who he was, their first reaction was to say, no way, this can't be. But at the same time, they're hearing his words they're watching his miracles they're realizing that no one else is like this so somehow the guy who the the kid from the carpenter's house has become this rabbi this teacher this miracle worker maybe the messiah it wasn't just about jesus claiming to be different he was different and the more you read from matthew mark luke and john the more you see that Jesus stood out from the crowd not because he dressed flashy or had more money or demonstrated lightning bolts or something. He stood out from the crowd because he was a different kind of person than anyone had ever encountered before. So a couple points on this. Uh, One is he was decidedly human, but obviously different than any other. So Jesus wasn't just like an angel come down from heaven. And he wasn't he it wasn't just that he was God in the flesh. It was that he he was completely a human being like you and me. But different than you and me. Okay, he was definitely earthly but obviously heavenly at the same time. So you could go to his physical mom, Mary, or you could see his physical brothers and sisters which in the cultural context that could have been also cousins might have been called that. We have this list of people. No, he's got this earthly family, but at the same time, remember Nicodemus, one of those leading Pharisees? He said, we know you must have come from God because no one could do these miracles if you didn't come from God. So somehow he's of earth and of heaven at the same time. He, he was distinctly physical, but obviously supernatural. I mean, Jesus had all the same physical characteristics of any other human being, and yet he was beyond just a human being. So this this is an important tenet of Christian theology here, that we would say Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time. It's a mystery, right? Many things in faith are mysteries. This is a, a big one, but it's an important one. That Jesus was not just an important historical figure, a teacher, a great guy. He was those things. He also wasn't just God come down from heaven to do some miracles. He was that. He was both at the same time. He was fully human. He was fully God. Here's what John wrote about that. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart revealed God to us or the book of Hebrews says the son Jesus radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command when he cleansed us from our sins he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven somehow Jesus was both God and man at the same time and if you were going to say, show me who God is, say, well, you can't see God in his glory. God is spiritual. He's beyond our realm of understanding our physical selves here. So here's Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God. Oh, great. But on the other side, you could say, show me an ideal human being. What is a complete, full person? Again, you would say, well, here's Jesus. Jesus. Everything that a human being was supposed to be, everything that you are supposed to be, Jesus demonstrates. If You want to know what it means to look like God? There's Jesus. If you want to know what it means to look like a human being, there's Jesus. So it was true that Jesus was supernatural and all-powerful, but his humanity is actually pretty important to how we understand who he was. So think about some of these things. Jesus, according to all the stories we have about him in the New Testament, Jesus was tired after a long day. You know some of these stories. He was thirsty as he walked outside. Remember the woman at the well? He said, I'm, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? Uh, he, would get, he, he would need days off to rest. Sometimes there'd be all this ministry activity and he'd be like, hey guys, you just take the disciples off to the mountains and they'd rest for a while. He, he would get hungry. He would need a meal. He faced all kinds of temptations. The Bible says every way that you and I are tempted, Jesus was tempted the same way because he was fully a human being. He, he didn't want to experience death in the garden. He was sweating drops of blood because he was saying, I really don't want to go through with this. That, that wasn't his divine nature saying that. It was his human self, right, who would want to go through with what he was about to do. He had a physical family. He had the whole range of human emotions, from anger in the temple to weeping when he found out Lazarus had died. I mean, Jesus, in so many ways, was just like you and just like me. He was like us as we are, mortal, weak, needing replenishment, needing prayer, needing rest. He was also like us the way we were created to be. Because if Jesus is the perfect representation of God... And then you go back to the beginning and say, okay, Adam and Eve were created, and what were they supposed to be? The image of God. Jesus is the fullness of not just God, but also of humanity. So if you're wondering, who do we follow? Why do we follow Jesus? It's because of this. If you look at Jesus and say, that's who I want to be like, you will be growing as a person and become who you're supposed to be. If you look at anyone else or you go any other path, you'll miss what it is to be human. Now, turn in the Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. One of the features, I guess, of how we're doing this series is just some thinking through some scriptures. It's just a little bit different than explaining them, right? Some of these things are deep and interesting, and there's so many things to explore. This is a think-through, where we're just going to read this text and consider how this plays out. The idea that Jesus not only made some bold claims, but he also was a very unique character in his life. So, Hebrews chapter 2, Verse 5, the people Hebrews was being written to, the people to whom Hebrews was being written, they were really concerned about the supernatural and they were very fascinated by angels. So, one of the things the author of Hebrews had to do was say, hey, angels are great, but they're nothing compared to Jesus. There's a lot more going on than just angels and demons out there. So, verse 5, furthermore, it is not the angels who will control the future world that we're talking about. For in one place the scriptures say, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, or the Son of Man that you should care for him? You made him you made them only a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things, which is a reference back to Psalm eight, not not specifically talking about Jesus, but talking about humans as they were supposed to be. Garden of Eden, humans, authority over all things, crowned with glory and honor from God. Uh, given this privileged place in creation. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not seen all things put under their authority. That is, the world isn't what it's supposed to be. But we see Jesus, who is given a position a little lower than the angels when he became a human being. Because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. So humanity had fallen from God by sin, and by our own evil choices, we're we're tied into that now going forward. Jesus steps into that messy, fallen world and says, I'll show you the way. I'll go first. I'll taste death. We'll restore the opportunity for you to come and be a part of God's family, which was always your design. It was always the purpose. Look to verse 10. God for whom and from whom and from through everything was made chose to bring many children into glory and it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father which is potentially you and me if we put our faith in jesus we're being made holy right alongside jesus and we call god father the same way jesus called god father because we're becoming human in the fullest extent of what that means that is why jesus is not ashamed to call them as brothers and sisters for he said to god i will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters i will praise you among your assembled people he also said i will put my trust in him That is, I am the children that God has given me. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. I'm always amazed by this because you kind of play that game in your mind like if I were God, what would I do differently? If you were God and you saw the world as it was and all the rebellion and all the selfishness and all the hatred and all the evil that's out there, I mean, wouldn't it be a lot easier just to walk away? Why go through all of this? Well, God's love and purpose for you is more than his disdain for how you acted his his love for you and his commitment to your future was bigger than how frustrating you and I and all the rest of us are to him so he stepped into history into our world into our kind of life became one of us became fully human to show us what humanity is always supposed to be and to win back the storyline from death so, that no longer are we captivated by sin equals death, and that's the end of our story. Jesus interrupts that and gives us a path to life. So, finishing up this, verse 16 we also know that the Son did not come to help angels, He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for Him to be made in every respect like us, His brothers and sisters. So that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself had gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So when you look at Jesus, you're looking at someone who understands what it is to walk in your shoes. He, he knows. He knows what it's like to be tired, frustrated, frustrated. He knows what it's like to have people disappoint you. He knows what it's like to feel the, all the temptations of evil that are all around you all the time. Jesus felt all of that. But he walked through it instead of getting caught in it, and he showed us the way through it. Jesus is not just the ultimate expression of God. He's the ultimate expression of us, everything we were created to be. In two different texts in the Bible, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is called the second Adam. In our world, we might say he's Adam 2.0. Adam number one got tempted and immediately fell, and all of us now follow his example, living weak and under temptation. Jesus shows up, says, let me show you what you're supposed to be. Let me show you truth. Let me show you humanity as God designed it. So Jesus was a man without sin. He was the one that walked in obedience in the way that Adam didn't. Uh, So this is why, if you said, why do you follow Jesus? This is why. Jesus actually shows you how to be the person you're supposed to be. It's that simple. Uh, Becoming like him is actually your only road forward to become incomplete. So so maybe you say in in your own heart, maybe you look at all the things you're doing and you're like, I just feel empty inside. These things aren't as fulfilling as I thought they would. Maybe you're aging and you're thinking, man, my life isn't what I wish it was. Things aren't quite adding up. And you keep feeling like there's something missing, like there's some sort of hole in your heart or your mind. This is it. You were created to walk the way Jesus walked. And if you're not walking his way, you will be empty. You'll never be complete. You'll never find the kind of life that you're actually made for, and thus you'll never thrive in life. So you follow Jesus to become who you're supposed to be. So to me, a really discouraging statement that sometimes people will make is they'll be caught in some sort of sin or an addiction or some sort of bad attitude, and they'll just say, this is who I am. I can't help it. This is who I am. The truth is that that's a lie. That's not who you are. That's the broken, fallen, weak, incomplete version of who you are. Who you are is actually a son or daughter of God designed to walk like Jesus walked. So your real life, no matter what the voices around you are telling you, your real life is love Instead of selfishness. Humility instead of pride. Serving instead of demanding. Glorifying God instead of self. Being in this world but not of it. Your real life is the Jesus life. Let me give, you, let me give it to you in a little chart form. Just to pray about, to think about. Because these are really the options you have. I have them, too. Every day you wake up, you have these two options. Do I want to follow Adam, like our human dad? Uh, or do we want to follow Jesus, who showed us what life was supposed to be? The Adam life is animalistic, driven by lust, pride, and greed. That's what Adam's life offers. And if you look around the world, that's what temptation's all about. It's the same thing that the serpent tempted Eve with in the garden. It's, hey, you can make your own decision. You can follow your heart. You can follow your lust. You do whatever you want. God can't tell you what to do. You can be just like him and run your own life, just missing the whole point of humanity. So all the temptations circle around this. And it really takes us into, into an animalistic thinking where you're just out to gain and gather and fulfill yourself and not to have any lasting purpose the adam life is selfish it's limited it's aimless and it's downward like the honest truth about the adam life is that it ends at the cemetery no matter what you do no matter how good you are no matter how much you accomplish we all end up with a gravestone or in a little box or a jar or something that's that's all the adam life can offer to you it's a downward track it's a losing investment in the end it goes nowhere the Jesus life is different. The Jesus life is advanced. The more I think about this, the more interesting it is to me that the more advanced a culture is, the more they put away animal, animalistic instinct. Right. So the, so you'd say what's like, it, it, what's sort of like the primitive way to live? Well, it'd be you know whatever some sort of caveman persona, and you're just out there hit something with a club, eat it. You know, there's no purpose to your life. That's where the world goes without morality. Jesus offers us an advanced way to think and live that's beyond just ourself and our own urges. It's loving, it's everlasting, it's purposeful, and it's upward, like the Jesus life has a future beyond the cemetery. So, here's a wrap-up for you. We get to imitate the ultimate human being, and the Holy Spirit will empower us to be like him. The word Christian, as we've talked about many times before, originally meant little Christ. People were mocking Jesus' followers and calling them Christians. You're a little Christ, which is the whole idea. That's why the term stuck, because that is what we're supposed to be doing. We're following Jesus to become like him, and that is who you were made to be. To put it this way, becoming like Jesus is your destiny. Will you embrace it? Let's pray. And as we're praying, I would encourage you to ask God about this yourself. Have you embraced it? Will you embrace it? Lord Jesus, you. Came to this world and physically, literally became one of us. You had a lot of purpose in doing that. Our salvation, the sacrifice that you would make for us, but also the, the path that you would lay out, the way to life. So, Lord, we know that you stand out among the figures of history, and we know that. Your miracles, your teachings—they were of a different quality, a different character than anyone would have expected. And we recognize that you came to show us a different way toward life, and that's that's the way we want, Lord. We don't want to be stuck in the pit of death and sin and darkness. And pointlessness instead Lord we want to take your hand accept your rescue from all of that and live the advanced life the real life the intended life Lord you not only created us with all the capacity to live this way and to be your children but when we threw it all away in our sin you stepped in in love and offered it to us again You tasted death for us so that we wouldn't have to. You offered us restoration, forgiveness, a new future. So that even though we all have a past, we all have things from years ago, maybe even moments ago, that don't represent the truth. You're willing to forgive us. You're willing to restore us. You're willing to give us hope and a new future. Lord, I pray that every one of my friends in the room today would embrace that destiny. And Lord, as we study you, the core of our faith, the center of everything we believe, that this wouldn't just be an exercise of the mind, but that we would be seeing the truth of what you want us to become as a result of the things we're learning. So we commit that to you. We look forward to continuing our study. We look forward to finding out what real humanity is like. We want to follow you even as we stand now and leave this room. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. See you next week as we continue on.